You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So you can go ahead and, um, well, you can just sit there. I'm going to do some review for a few minutes here. We're going to go back, pick up where I left off a couple of weeks ago. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking specifically, uh, or the title is Praying Without Ceasing, because the scripture tells us in several places to pray always or to pray without ceasing. And so we've been going through a lot of foundational ideas about prayer. And uh, my my prayer is that this develops our prayer life and our hunger for prayer that maybe we break out of some of our traditional ideas about what prayer is and what prayer is not. And and for the last few weeks, we've just been going through foundational um, characteristics or principles that really should be a part of all, uh, all of the different kinds of prayer and the different things that we do in prayer. And so I'm going to uh, back up just a little bit here and um, I'm not going to go through this whole list. We've We've looked at Praying from faith, we've looked at praying the word, we've looked at praying from a place of favor and from our position in Christ. That's really important. Praying from who we are, uh, understanding that we come to God in a position of favor, we come to God in a position of righteousness. He, He will hear our prayer. He wants us to be engaged with him. We don't have to crawl into the throne room. Jesus has paid the price for us to come boldly before the throne of grace. We've talked about a number of those kinds of things. And we talked about the prayer of agreement. Uh, We talked about it last time we got together. And I'm just going to, these next few ideas really go together. So I'm going to tie this back together a little bit for all of us. Uh, We looked at Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20 which says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And and the the last part of the statement is just amazing to me. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Where two or three are gathered in my name. Whether that's for prayer or whether that's for worship or whether that's for fellowship, if we're gathering in his name, right? We're gathering for the the reason being Jesus, that we all hold Jesus in common and we are there uh, in order to honor him and minister to one another in whatever form. He says, Jesus said, I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. Now, you know, we talk about this from time to time. We have to separate in our thinking the idea, you know, I am there. Well, God is everywhere, right? That's part of what makes him God. He is everywhere at the same time. So we know that. But the scripture talks to us there is a difference between the presence of God that is everywhere and the manifested presence of God, where God is moving. The Spirit of God is coming upon something. He is moving. He is saturating something. It's called the manifested presence of God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's not just that he exists where two or three get together. It's that he will invade where two or three get together in his name. He will be there. He will be present. He will be a part of what's going on there. He will release something there. 
So it's really, it's really important that we understand that and we understand that for whatever reason, God does things in the gathering of his people that he just simply doesn't do in our individual partnership with him, our individual relationship with him. I think I think I grew up in a time where, well, I know I grew up in a time where the personal relationship with Jesus was being emphasized. And that's really important. I mean, that was kind of a new thing back in the, uh, I mean, many, 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 many people had never heard back in the 1960s and 1970s about being born again, about coming into this personal relationship with Jesus, about being able to have a personal one-on-one relationship with him. I mean, that was huge. And the Holy Spirit was really emphasizing that throughout the church at that time. The the only issue with that is, and that's still essential. It's still a really, really important thing for us to understand. It's just that we, and I think I think we as human beings, and certainly we as Americans, tend to be very independently minded. And so a lot of times I think we can uh, we have probably focused on that aspect uh, to the point of somewhat disregarding the corporate aspect, the group aspect, whether that's in prayer or whether that's uh, being a part of a church, having fellowship with other believers, uh, you know, all of that together. We've kind of missed that in, to some degree. And I think actually that's getting more extreme and certainly what's going on with all the separation and and all of that that's going on is not helping that a bit uh, right now. But I think it's very easy for us. Like, you know, Joel just talked to us. I was the same way. I mean, I like uh, a lot of us. And I think because Karen and I are this way, we tend to attract people that are, are there's a lot of introverts in this church. Okay. A lot of introverts. And uh, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's just that we don't necessarily feed on the gathering. But it's something we have to choose because we are designed, by design, God made us to live in community and love one another, minister to one another, feed on one another, feed each other, you know, pour out to each other. All of that is absolutely essential. So this prayer of agreement is just a part of all of that. And Jesus saying that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. What a confidence builder. What an, what an amazing thing. And so we talked about that prayer. This is an actual, this is something we do on purpose. We get agreement from another believer. We, we want to pray over something and we get it uh, together with somebody else who has the same faith and has the same perspective on God. And, and most of the time what we do is we, we, we build our agreement on scripture. We build our agreement on promises from God. And we say, this issue is going on in my life or in someone's life. And here's what the word says about that. Can you agree with me that that this will take place, that the Lord's promise will come upon their life? And we come together and we catch hands or whatever. Uh, I suppose we can do this on the internet. But anyway, uh, you know, we agree together. And the word agree is that word that we translate as symphony. It's making a harmony. It's all these different various voices and various instruments sounding together before God. And there's just tremendous power uh, in, in agreement, in the prayer of agreement. So Jesus talked about this, but he prefaced this promise about agreement 
when we look at these verses, in fact, you can go over there to uh, Matthew chapter 18, which I don't have bookmarked in my... It's okay, it's not very far. Matthew chapter 18. Those were verses uh, 18 and 19 that we were looking at there. And I know I touched on on this the last time we were together. But let's bounce back to verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus prefaces this promise about agreement with a call for forgiveness of anybody that we're having a problem with. So another part of our prayer life needs to be that we keep our hearts clean through forgiving people. It keeps a really open door to being able to hear from God when we are not in offense and not in strife. Strife and offense and bitterness and anger, all those things shut down our hearts. They turn us inward. They make us defensive. uh, They deceive us terribly. We give ourselves over to those things. We will become deceived. There's just no question about it. And so one of the things, one of the foundational parts of a good prayer life is to have a good forgiveness life. It comes up over and over and over when Jesus talks about prayer. When Jesus talks about prayer, almost inevitably he talks about forgiving people. Okay, They've got to go together. And that's because of what unforgiveness does in our own hearts. So we back up and he gives, I just think these are such practical, important verses and I, I sometimes wish we would practice this more. But in verse 15, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible here. Jesus says, if your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother back. Okay, so that's step one when you're having a problem with somebody. And don't, you know, some of your minds are, I can feel it. They're already going up. Well, what if that person doesn't want to? There are going to be some of those situations. Let's just talk about what Jesus said, okay? Let's not start immediately making excuses for why this won't work, all right? This is like sometimes I've I've talked to people about the proverb that says a soft answer turns away wrath, and they've just sat and said, well, that just doesn't work. That just won't work. It's like, well, God said it. I don't know what to tell you, you know? I mean, God said it. It's a principle. I've seen it work. You know, let's not talk about our experience. Let's just look at the principle. Jesus said, go privately first. Okay, we go one-on-one because that protects the other person's dignity. It makes it easier. It's a less defensive position, right? If somebody comes up to you, and again, the obvious goal is restoration of, of the relationship. All right, we're not there to prove we're right. We're there to to restore the relationship. Okay, you may be fully right. This is unusual, but you may be fully right and they may be fully wrong. But if you approach it as an attack, then you're wrong. I don't care how right you are, you're wrong. Okay, so it's just this is so practical. We can go to a person that we're having an issue with. Okay, they've offended us or or they've they've done something that's offensive in our lives we can go and have a discussion. That's the first step, all right? Try it privately. So this is before you tell all your friends what a jerk they are, okay? This comes before that step. That's quite a bit later, okay? 
they, they, you, you know, that, and, and I say this, you know, I understand it's hard when you're hurt, when you're angry, and a lot of times somebody has actually wronged you, they've really done something. We want to tell our friends. We want to talk to people. And, but all that does is pull somebody else into your strife. It's, it, it just plays into the devil's hands, especially in the church. Man, the devil divides believers with strife all the time. It's one of his most successful strategies, and that's our fault. Okay, that is a hundred percent our fault. So he says, go to them privately first and have a discussion. And you got to pick a time for that. I, you know, pray over that ahead of time. I pray and actually a minister that I knew 30 many years ago, uh, told me early on when there was a situation I had to confront, he said, I always pray that God go ahead and make the way start working on the other person's heart and my heart, okay? And then I pray that he open a door for that conversation, that he he make a place for that conversation. And thirdly, that he give me the words to speak. So I'm not just going in blasting somebody. I've already settled some things in my heart. But, but that part about making a place, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer it just, either the other person approached me and we didn't even really have to have the discussion. They realized what was going on or God changed my heart. That happens a lot. Gives me a different perspective of it. That's like, oh, <laughs> glad I didn't go have that talk when it turns out I was the one that was wrong. But but that make a place, there will just be a place. If you can be patient, not for six years, but, you know, be patient for a little while, it will come up. And I don't know how else to say it. It's it's just a phenomenal little three-step process that I've just seen work so much over the years. I have that written in one of my oldest, one of the Bibles I had at Bible school. This guy gave me that when I first started working at Believer Center. And and I've got that written in the front of that Bible. And I just, you know, go back and look at it once in a while. It's it's just one of those little things that has helped me so much. So the first thing we do is we, we go privately. And if they listen to you, you've won back your brother. The relationship is restored. We can all go forward, okay, without involving anybody else. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take along with you, one or two others, so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, so so now we're going to take along one or two people. We're going to pick people that know God, that are not just taking our side. Okay, that's a temptation you have to avoid. That are That are really there to see God's agenda get done in the situation, to see a restoration between brothers and sisters, between believers, okay? Recognizing how valuable that is and how much Satan wants to break that up. Those are the people you want to pick. You want to pick somebody that's, you know, somewhat mature spiritually, that that knows both of you, that has, you know, some kind of relationship there and, and wants to see it restored. Those are the people you want to pick. And usually one is enough that says one or two, you know, whatever. Um, but you go and you try to have this conversation Again, you try and approach this again. The reason for the other people, the way it's written here, 
is that every word may be confirmed and upheld. I I believe that that has to do with clarifying communication. There are so many times where, you know, especially when there's a struggle, we say something, the other person hears something totally different, or they say something, we hear something totally different, right? Has anyone had this experience? Okay, everybody should have their hands up. It's, it's, and so a third person or a third and fourth person, whatever it is, you know, can, can help in that to say, whoa, 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 wait, no, that's not what I hear them saying. What you're saying they're saying is not what I hear them saying. Or I've had situations where, where the person says, well, they said this and, 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 um, or I said this and they took it this way. And I've had to say, yeah, I'd have taken it that way too. That's what it sounded like. You you kind of need to change the way you're saying it. You can help coach people, okay, into understanding each other. Again, the goal there is not even agreement. You, people may walk away from this whole process not ever agreeing on whatever the thing's about, but being okay with that, loving each other beyond that, just saying, you know what, we just have a different view of this and that's okay. But we're not going to let Satan get strife in here. Does that make sense to you? So the whole thing there is about clarifying the communication, coming to a place of understanding. A lot of times having somebody help you do that is great. It's still private. You still haven't, you haven't put it out on Facebook, okay? You haven't tweeted about them. You haven't, you know, done all that. And, and don't do that in a, you know, send, put something out, but don't mention their name, but every, I'm going to do it in a way that everybody knows who it is. <laughs> Let's grow up. I don't know how else to say it. Let's just grow up. So anyway, so finally then it says, if that doesn't work, then you take it to the church. I, and I believe that means, you know, you're not going to, I can tell you this because people have asked to do this, believe it or not. Uh, you're not going to come up here and tell somebody, tell the whole church somebody else's sin. Okay. Uh, you're, you're not going to come up unless you want to start with your own sin. If you, if you want, and we can coach you on that, you know, and then you can get to that. But I've actually had people say that that's what we should be doing. They aren't here anymore. Uh, but what you do is you go to somebody in leadership within the church, somebody you respect, they respect, somebody you honor, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a small group leader, whether it's just a more mature brother, sister, uh, elder type person, you know, whatever that is, you take it to that level. Jesus says, if that doesn't work, I mean, that person's going to bring more scripture in. It's just another level. If that doesn't work, then he says, we start to, you, you begin to treat them like a, an unbeliever, essentially, okay? That doesn't, you still don't get to call him a jerk on Facebook. It just never comes up. He never gives us that. I don't know if they took it out, you know, but it's not in there. Uh, he, in, instead, what we do, we reach, we love unbelievers, right? We minister Christ to unbelievers. This would be a situation where somebody has just hardened their heart to the idea of fixing this thing. It's no longer just an issue, you know, they've just hardened their heart, they're not going to forgive, they're not going to they're not going to walk with God through it. Then it says, okay, you back up and you start thinking this person really needs the Lord or needs the Lord in a more powerful way in their life or they're going to end up in real trouble. So you're not hating them. You're not pushing them away. You're coming, you're surrounding them. 
and you're defending them. You, you change your prayer, the relationship between you and them, no doubt changes at that point, but you begin to pray for that person's heart to be softened for a much bigger reason than whatever the issue between you was. Okay, because if they keep walking down that road, the devil is going to snare them and ruin their lives. And we all hate to see that. Okay, does that make sense to you? Um, It's really not that hard to do. I I think I said this to you a couple weeks ago. I think we need to get better at confrontation. I think for a lot of us, some, some it's harder than others. Things that you consider confrontation for somebody else are just not a hard conversation to have. I think that's something we can pray through and we can get better at it. Okay, we can just get better at it because really we can have conversations. We can look each other in the eye. We can disagree and not hate each other. You really, I mean, good grief. We live in a culture that's decided if we don't agree, then we hate, you know, and there's nothing in between. That's a lie. That's just simply not true. Okay, so so I think this is something we can pray about and work on. But this is a foundational part. Continually walking in forgiveness. Oh, I was going to say, I really felt like yesterday, as I was going back through these verses, um, I was actually looking at Mark eleven twenty four, where it says, therefore, Jesus speaking, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Whenever you stand praying, and it just kind of hit me in a different way yesterday that prayer is an opportunity to work through forgiveness again. Every time, it's an opportunity. And if you think about the model prayer, the Lord's prayer that he gave us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those, right? And and it's just an inherent part of it. Every time we're praying for people, every time we can work through some forgiveness. We all have stuff to forgive. We always laugh. We heard a pastor, well, it was Youngie Cho, I mean, who had a church of however many hundreds of thousands in South Korea years ago. Um, and and he, his quote, it was in a minister's conference, he said, he was talking about the Lord's Prayer and he was getting to that part about forgiving others. And he was saying, you know, I, I am a pastor of 300,000 people or whatever, some insane amount of people in that church. And he said, so I have to pray to forgive people every day because I hate so many people, you know, and he, and he was, uh, you know, he was just saying, so I have to pray this prayer of forgiveness because I pastor this many people. So I hate so many people. <laughs> it was just awesome. It was very humble of him. And, and, and of course, everybody in the room related to it. And, and so, I mean, it's true for all of us and, and in this contentious society and everything, gosh, this is important to have a clean heart before God, not carry unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. That stuff just, it's not worth the time. It it makes us sick. It, it ruins us. I am absolutely convinced, and, and I mean, I know a lot of doctors are too, that especially getting into unforgiveness, getting into bitterness, causes a lot of degenerative diseases. It's just a poison in our system. So anyway, I don't really intend to take that much time on that, but I think it's so essential 
that we do this, that we spend this time and just consider it a part of your prayer life to just let God lead you. And if you're forgiving the same person over and over for the next 10 years, that's okay. That's better than hardening your heart against it. We have to, we have to choose to forgive so that the Lord can work the forgiveness. It's not instantaneous. You know all that. I mean, we've taught on this so many times. It's not saying that they were right or that, you know, that there shouldn't be any consequences in their life. Or It's not saying any of that. It's not saying that what they did wasn't wrong. It's you choosing to let it go. That's what forgiveness is. It's you saying, I'm not going to hold this person. I can't. God has forgiven me of so much. I can't hold. I have no right to hold this person unforgiven. So anyway, next one, we want to pray out of a place of hope and we want to pray into hope. Okay, we want to pray. uh, And we've talked about this so many times. God is the God of hope. He gives us hope. It is is an, an expectation of good coming from God in the future. It's a, it's a place of expecting. It pulls into the future. It's a place for faith to run. It's all of these different things. God gives us hope and vision in our hearts when we seek him. And we want to pray from that place. If your prayer is always filled with how terrible everything is, I'm not sure how much you're connecting with the Lord. He always has a tremendous vision for really bad situations. He always sees what's possible. He always stands in a place where he calls calls life into places where there's death. He calls light into places where there's total darkness. It's just not a hopeless bone in his body. I mean, it just isn't there. So when we connect with him, we can pray from a place of hope, we have hope. We can we can get really exciting, de- excited, declaring the promises of God over situations that just look impossible. But we can fully, genuinely see God's heart. That man, look what He can do here, and we can pray from there. And we pray into hope. We pray. We pray through hope. We pray into that possibility out there in the future. So that's really important to stand in a place of hope and pray from there. And then praying from gratitude. You know, this is something we talk about a lot. So again, I don't want to take a lot of time on it today. But gratitude, being thankful. The Bible tells us it's a doorway into the presence of God. You know, we enter his gates with thanksgiving, right? And that leads us into this place. It's just impossible to be thanking God and not end up praising him and then end up really aware of his presence and possibility and all of that. Gratitude eliminates that entitlement mentality that we can carry into prayer. Gratitude, being thankful for what we have, being thankful for what God has done, being thankful for who he is, is just, it just puts us in the right framework. So we want to, we want to start in a place, we want to start with thanksgiving in our prayer. And then the other application of that is that when we ask, for something or ask about something, we call forth something. Then from there, once we've asked, we don't have to ask over and over and over and over. We begin to thank God for what he's doing there. We begin to thank God for his promise. We thank him for things that we don't see yet until we see them. And then we keep thanking him. But 
but we thank him before we see the answer to the prayer. You know, the perfect example is Jesus with the loaves and the fishes, right? And he he gave thanks for what wasn't there yet. He gave thanks for the miracle before it happened. And that, you know, I, I just, I know that that is a big part of what happened there was Jesus just stood up in confidence knowing who the father was and took this little bit and started to give thanks and then just started giving it away. Huge, huge principle in prayer. Huge principle. We we want to, what we do ask for, we want to thank him for the answer before we see it. Okay, what we're believing. And that's that's just, you know, Jesus stood there in absolute confidence in the Father. He knew the Father's will. He was desiring to feed these people. He took what they had, not what they didn't have, right? Gave thanks for it, started distributing it, and it was multiplied as they distributed it. Okay? All right. And finally for today, pray God's will. Okay? That sounds a little, I mean, I think we all get that praying against God's will is a somewhat futile prayer, okay? Uh, You know, we aren't going to manipulate God into our idea when it's not his idea. We do want to pray according to God's will, okay? So we want to be sure, and, and sometimes... I'm trying to think what the situation was just the other day. I was going to prayer about, and I thought, you know, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of things. There there are certain things we know specifically this is God's will in this situation because he said it in his word, okay? If God promised it, you can be confident it's his will, all right? He has promised us healing. I don't believe, we don't see anywhere in the scripture where Jesus withheld healing from somebody, where Jesus didn't release healing to somebody who was asking, exercising faith, uh, even situations where people weren't exercising faith, but it was uh, it was there, it was presented to him. Um, so, so we can be confident, and I'm confident in every situation that God wants to heal. I, I never question that. I don't believe there's ever a time he doesn't want to heal. Okay, There are things like that. God wants you provided for. He said it. I mean, it's very clear in the scripture. God wants your family blessed. I mean, there are just loads of things. We have a promise on it. It's God's will. Okay, so we don't have to, we don't have to worry about that, fight about that. There are lots of things in our lives that we don't know the exact specifics. Uh, it, you're, you're sensing in your heart that the Lord wants you to step out and and your family to to buy a house. Well, is it this house or is it that house? Or I believe God has a plan there, but we don't always know. We just know the part about I'm feeling this in my heart that we're supposed to start moving this direction. So we start moving this direction. I think there are some times where honestly, it's God's like, what do you want? And he's okay with that. There are other times where he has a specific plan. My point is, we don't always know all the specifics. We don't always know, and especially in bigger worldwide situations, I don't know exactly how he wants to work out the turmoil that's going on in this country. I know that what's going on isn't doesn't represent God at all. 
but I don't know exactly how he wants to work it out. I do know he wants to work it out. So, you know, I mean, I can pray that way. Am I making sense? We want to, if something is clearly spelled out in scripture, it's God's will. You can pray it. You can release it. You don't have to uh, struggle with that. If something is not clear, we need to spend time. We need to know that it's God's will to bring us revelation. So there is a portion of what he does. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. There is, God is big. There is mystery in God. There are things that haven't, the word mystery in the New Testament means something that has not yet been revealed. Okay, We don't see it yet. We don't know what it is. We do know what his nature is. And we do know what he has promised. We do know how he does move. We know those things. But here's, here's an element that, that I haven't seen yet. We haven't seen yet. We don't know, and yet we need to pray over it. My point today is don't let the fact that there is some mystery in God, that we don't know everything about him and about his mind, that we don't always know everything right now, don't turn that into a theology, listen to me now, that says, you never know his will. You never know what he's going to do. We start making excuses when we don't see prayer, something we're praying for. We don't see it coming to pass. And, and there's this thing that Christians do. They just say, well, maybe it's not the will of God. Well, if he's promised it, if we've got scripture on it, it's his will, number one. If we don't know yet exactly how he wants to work it out, we need to spend more time with him because he'll probably show it to you. He'll at least give you your part to pray about it, to where you have a piece about it. But there's this theology that goes around that, well, you can never know what God's going to do. God is a mysterious God and he doesn't show things to us. That's not true. He sent his son to earth to take on a body to not only die for us, but to be a living exact representation of the father he's gone to great he sent the holy spirit into our hearts to reveal jesus and to reveal the will of the father so although there are things that come up in life and it's like i don't know exactly there's a whole bunch i do know and i'm not letting go of any of that over one thing that i don't know and to take up this this theology that that uh, you never know what the will of God is. You never know what he's going to do. He loves to, it's like he likes to pray, play tricks on us or something. That's not who he is. And And so if you've grown up with that, and a lot of people did, abandon that and seek God about what is your will in this situation and whatever part he reveals. He doesn't reveal everybody's private stuff to us. He doesn't, there are things that we are not going to know or maybe not see the whole huge universal picture, but we know parts that we can pray into and we pray into those and then he shows us more. Does that make sense to you? So, so there are, there are people and, and let me just read you a couple of scriptures here. 1 John 5, uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
Okay, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. So there's a confidence that comes. All right, There's a confidence that comes to us knowing that when we pray according to his will, and again, there's a lot we do know because the scripture has told us, or Jesus has represented, if Jesus did it, he'll do it again. He hasn't changed. Okay, those kinds of things. And, and we mainly, we have confidence in the fact that he hears us. But here's the thing. Just try to stick with me a few more minutes. I think this is really important and it's going to step on some toes. There are a lot of people that feel that anything we pray, okay, we have to, we have to at the beginning or at the end or somewhere in there say, okay, Lord, if it's your will, all right, if it be thy will, right? So I'm praying for somebody's healing. Jesus went to the cross to purchase it. Jesus has, the scripture tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. But I'm going to say, but only if it's your will. Well, he said to somebody who asked him, you know, if uh, about, about healing, he said, I will be healed. Okay. So I'm just using healing as an example. There are a lot of concrete things that we have a promise on. We can pray those with authority and faith. All right. But there are a lot of people who, who feel, and it's a, I'm not being critical here. I'm, I'm trying to express this. It's a humility thing. They, they feel that this is, this is, you know, this is a part of my humility before God to say, I don't want to be presumptuous here. So I'm praying something that's clear in the word, but only if it's your will. Okay. We don't need to do that. The only place only place. Jesus never prayed. Are you listening to me? I think this is really important. Jesus never prayed, if it be thy will. When he was praying, blessing over anyone, healing over anyone, delivering somebody from a demon, whatever it was, he never prayed, if it be thy will. The only place where Jesus said something like that was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was about to go to the cross. And and part of what we see there is the struggle between Jesus' humanity and Jesus' deity. And he was there. And what he said was, if there's any other way to do this, Dad, let's do it that way. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Right? So it was a commitment. It was a consecration prayer. It was about himself and his role. It was not about somebody's blessing or somebody's healing or somebody's deliverance or any of that. And and he just said, Father, if there's any other way, let's do it. But if not, your will be done, not mine. It was a it was a consecration of his will to God's will. How we picked that up out of all the things that Jesus prayed, all the things that Paul prayed, all the things that Peter prayed, all the prayers that we have in the scripture, how we picked that up and decided. And and I hope you can see, it's like we we sort of compromise. I'm not saying all that. I, I know for a lot of people, this is an act of humility and I get that. But we can also compromise our faith with that stance. We can... Um, we can kind of cover the, I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but I'm going to pray anyway. We can, we can kind of cover that with this sort of act of humility. And it's not, 
It's not necessary, okay? Again, the only place Jesus prayed that was in that commitment of his of his will to God's will concerning him going to the cross. So, so if that's been a part of your past, I would say, think about when you're praying about things, do I have a promise on this? Do I have a promise from God? And, and not just, I mean, yes, pull a promise out of the scripture like we've been talking about for weeks. Absolutely, they're yours, okay? All the promises of God are yes or and amen for us in Christ Jesus. They're yours. But then spend time with that promise meditate that promise, take that promise before God until he births that promise on the inside of you concerning your husband, your wife, your kids, your family, your finances, your whatever it is, your dog, you know, till he births that in you. And then you pray that out with confidence and conviction because it's God's word and it's alive in your heart. Okay, does this make sense to you? So I just throw all that out to you. You can pray over it. I know some of these things we touch on, People have been raised this way for 102 years, and and that's okay. I'm just asking you to rethink it. Okay, rethink it. All right, let's let's pray together. Why don't you stand up, and we'll pray together. It's in the Bible at the end of church services. People have to stand, or the prayers don't count. So that's that's what we do. We used to hold hands. See, let's do that once the camera's off. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Just kidding. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord. And, and I just, Lord, I, again, through all of this, I pray that our prayer life, all of us, we grow in it. We become more effective in it, Lord, that we walk in that place of the fervent, effectual prayer uh, of, of the righteous man avails much, Lord. It's powerful. Father, we want to pray your heart. We want to know your heart. We want to pray with confidence. We want to pray your will. We want to release your life over our families and communities and our world, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that wherever any of us are in all of this, that all of us grow together in it. And, Father, as this congregation and this congregation out here online, as we go out into life this week, as we go out there, Father, and we interact with people, Lord, I just pray your anointing over every one of us, that you give us your words, you give us your heart, you give us your eyes to see people the way that you see them. Lord, you empower us to forgive and to release people. Lord, and Father, that, that Lord, we go out and we are the church of Jesus Christ, where in our sphere of influence, wherever that is, we thank you for it. We thank you for teaching us and working with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So on the count of three, we're going to be dismissed. And we'll open up these side doors so you can go out that way. Um, Hopefully some of you brought your own snacks, but I'll get off that pretty soon. But anyway, we're going to keep trying. So hang around. Enjoy some people. We're going to say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.